Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. After last week's record-setting rains, there's another storm on the way, which should hit our region within hours of us wrapping up this show. Our local outpost of the National Weather Service has issued a very strong warning, saying in a Monday note that this is, quote, truly a brutal system that we are looking at and needs to be taken seriously. More troubling, longer-range forecasts show a series of storms coming our way, each compounding the problems of the previous ones. We'll talk about what you can do to get ready, check in on what all this rain means for the drought, and try to get a handle on how climate change might be influencing these recent conditions. Let's get prepared for what's likely to be a very stormy next couple weeks. That's all coming up after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. As we sit here in the last moments of the calm before the storm, we want to take stock of where we are. We have been in a drought, obviously. At the end of December, basically the entire state was in some stage of drought from merely abnormally dry to exceptional drought at the southern end of the Central Valley. But the rain we've gotten in recent weeks has pushed most areas up to one or even two times above quote-unquote normal. And that's even before this coming wet weather. So what's going on? What might it mean for the different parts of our region, both now and going forward? Joining us to begin our discussion, we've got Brian Garcia, Warning Coordination Meteorologist with the National Weather Service in the San Francisco Bay Area, Monterey. Welcome. Hey, thank you. So, Brian, I want to start with this forecast that was made on Monday that really got a lot of people talking Um, out of the National Weather Service, talking about a brutal storm, very serious, mentioning a possible life, uh, uh, loss of life. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that forecast and if anything has changed from that evaluation? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. That that was actually me working on shift that day, so I was the one who wrote that. Um, You know, looking at the storm, we've been watching this for about a week and a half, two weeks now, and, and model data. And it's been very consistent throughout the time. Uh, there's been little little uh, bumps here and there in terms of wind speed, but really the the idea behind saying this is really a brutal system 
is we knew that New Year's Eve was going to be tough with all the rain, but it didn't have the wind. Mm-hmm. And working with our USGS partners, we knew that the New Year's Eve system was going to saturate the soils the rest of the way. And then we were going to get into this system and get uh, throw a bunch of wind on it. So the, the rain has never uh, really been the big marquee thing in my mind for mm-hmm. this system going into today and tonight. Uh, where we will get rain and we will get flooding and we will have issues from it. But the marquee thing for this is the wind on the trees and all the saturated soils. It's just simply going to knock a ton of trees over. And unfortunately in our area, trees fall on people and they will kill people. Hmm. So let's just go through the differences. I mean, the, that New Year's Eve event, I think, I mean, it wasn't a total surprise, but the, the volume of rain caught people by surprise. I mean, the second wettest day in the history of San Francisco has got to be at least a little bit of a surprise. Um, This storm, we're not expecting quite that this evening. But what do you expect to see? Yeah, that's right. These these storms are very different in terms of the way that they're coming in towards our area. Uh, So whereas the New Year's Eve storm kind of came in from the west-southwest. This is, this is coming in much more from the south in terms of the winds and the rain. So in terms of rainfall, kind of what we're seeing across the across the region, what we're expecting is really that uh, four to five inches of rain up in the mountainous areas. So think of the Santa Cruz Mountains, the coastal Sonoma Range, Mount Tam, places like that. And really kind of one to two inches, maybe three inches in, in the urban areas. And we're looking at a whole host of other streams and creeks being impacted by this one because it's hitting watersheds in a different way this time around. Hmm. And so that's kind of the rainfall with this one. But again, the the standout here is the wind. We're talking wind gusts in excess of 50, 60 miles per hour, especially at elevation. We're already seeing that this morning across the Bay Area up in the hills, gusting into the 50s and 60s. And we haven't even hit the, the strongest part of the storm. Yeah. So it seems as if the forecast, as it's really tuned up for this specific event uh, this evening, has kind of more cleanly put the North Bay into the crosshairs. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. The The core of the um, precipitation really looks like it's going to fall up in that Russian River watershed. Mm. So we're talking southern Mendocino County into northern uh, Sonoma County. So we've been working with our partners there for the past week and a half, two weeks with these series of storms. And they've really been leaning far forward and getting their communities ready for not just the New Year's Eve event, but also this event. Yeah. And so that means for people who are living along the Russian River, like how should they be thinking about this event? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. And for those who have longevity in the area, they should be thinking this thinking of this as a scenario where they're going to see the Russian River flood and those normal areas that flood, they will be underwater and they should respond accordingly. So not only uh, having goods available to you to make sure that you can take care of yourselves and your family for uh, at least three days, if not longer, being cut off from any sort of help. But if you can get out during uh, during a break today, that's great. Um, otherwise, it's really hunker down, have the flashlights ready, and you are going to have a lot of falling trees around you this evening. So let's talk about where we are in a slightly broader sense. Like we have gotten a lot of rain in the last week, but we really have still been in this drought. You know, when I've been talking with people about the weather across the region in this last few days, and everybody is kind of like, oh, well, it's good. We're in a drought. We're in a drought. This is good. Is that how you see this? 
Yeah, you know, for the state of California, really any rain is, is beneficial to a degree. Um, at some point, though, we get too much too fast. And when we get too much too fast, like I was talking about earlier, the saturation of the soils, the, the ground just can't absorb anymore. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're a state of reservoirs and levees and state water systems and all that. So we also need to get the rain in the right spots, which can be really challenging. So, so long as it's pointed at reservoirs and water managers can capture that water um, and not go over so much. Because you got to remember, we're just like in the beginning of winter, really. We're in the first third of winter. We still got two more wet months to go. So we've really got to work with our water management agencies very closely to help them know when it's going to rain so that they can manage releases from the reservoirs so that they don't overspill their, uh, their reservoirs. Um, so it's really all about water management at this point and uh, in the drought sense. Yeah. You know, talk to me a little bit about what's likely to happen up in the mountains. People might have seen some headlines this morning that, you know, Tahoe snow packs at 175 percent roughly of, of normal for this date. What's this storm and the ones behind it? What is it likely to do to the snowpack up there? Yeah. So snowpack's a really fascinating creature because this in, in conjunction with these systems, because the snow levels go up and down with these systems. When we get behind this warm front today and warm fronts bring in warm air, those snow levels are going to go up. And when we have a lot of snow up there and then we put rain on it, it does really one of two things. We can either melt the snow and have runoff, or it can actually act as a packing agent and really pack down a solid base that lasts well into spring, if not even into uh, early summer. And that's the best case scenario for this um, is to continue to get solid snowpack and then have slow melt in the spring and summer months so that we can uh, continually have that fresh supply of water going into our, our state water project, really. And with these systems that are coming up, it actually looks pretty good to do that. It looks like we're just going to put feet and feet and feet on, of snow on top of what's already there. And really kind of the story story there is if you don't have to go to the mountains, don't go to the mountains in these storms. It's dangerous and it really puts first responders and road crews lives at risk when you're up there trying to uh, get your get your fresh tracks in. Mm. So I want to uh, invite our listeners into this conversation. And, you know, yesterday I was up uh, at a city of Oakland facility where they were filling sandbags because, of course, my basement also flooded in the New Year's Eve uh, storm. And before we, we lost our water heater, for those who experienced that, it's an expensive uh, mistake. So we we're we we're trying to protect the new one. Um, and I was actually able to talk with some folks who are up there preparing in new ways as well. So let's just listen to a, a cut of this is Phoebe Quo, who I met up there. I saw on a Facebook group I'm in that Oakland was uh, providing sandbags for the community. And I never thought I'd be in the situation, but over the weekend we went downstairs and discovered that our storeroom had flooded. So this is our first time experiencing this much rain uh, in the Bay Area and first time living on a hill. Yeah. So we have to do some detective work to figure out where the water is coming in from. And what do you, uh, what did you have like a ton of damage? You lose stuff down there, mattress or all stuff? I mean, luckily for us, it was a bunch of cardboard boxes that my partner hates that I save for when we move again. <laughs> so it wasn't bad, but my neighbor just across the street, basically his entire basement flooded. So That's how Phoebe Quo, who you just heard, Oakland resident, and I were preparing, getting sandbags from the city of Oakland. We want to know how you're preparing. 
Have you been able to find the resources that you need from local authorities? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. There was a line of cars to get sandbags going for like a, a mile uh, up in up into the hills. Also, look, we're, we're going to have a lot of meteorology and emergency experts on and we know that you probably have some questions about how this storm is going or the storm coverage in general. So you can give us a call about those as well. The number is 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're KQED Forum. And the email is forum at kqed.org. We're talking with Brian Garcia, warning coordination meteorologist with the National Weather Service here in the Bay Area uh, to start things off today. Um, talk to me about just like a little bit of the longer range forecast. We, get, we got some other meteorologists who are going to come on and talk about it uh, later. But one of the big worries here is that it's not just this storm, right? It seems like the forecasts are setting up to be a series of, of storms over the next two weeks. Yeah, that's correct, Alexis. It, it is going to be a series of storm over the at least the first half of this month, if not even deeper into January. So really, this uh, these storms that we've gone through both on New Year's Eve and now this one, even going back to mid-December, this has really set the stage because our, our baseline is higher now in terms of water levels in rivers, creeks, and streams, as well as the soil saturation. So with that higher baseline, it takes less water to cause flooding issues. So the, the person you talked to in Oakland, you know, this, this is not normal. Obviously we live in California for a reason because we don't, we don't get tornadoes and hurricanes here. Uh, we generally have fairly benign weather, but we do occasionally have these types of systems roll through and we need to be prepared for them in the best way that we possibly can. And when we stack them up one after another, after another, it just adds insult to injury. And this is uh, kind of what we saw in 2017. So it's going to be very similar. Do you, you think it's going to be about similar to that 2017 year? Yeah, it's starting to look like that. Yeah. We're talking about the storm hitting us today and the ones coming over the next couple weeks. We're uh, joined by Brian Garcia, Warning Coordination Meteorologist with the National Weather Service. Thank you so much for uh, joining us, Brian. Yeah, my pleasure. And after that, we're going to have a bunch of meteorologists and uh, emergency managers. We'd love to uh, hear from you having some issues with the phone. So try Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, where we're KQED Forum, or the email is forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the storm hitting us today, uh, this evening, and the ones coming over the next couple of weeks. Why don't we just, uh, our panel for the rest of the uh, of the show here. We've got Daniel Swain, who's a climate scientist with the Institute for the Environment and Sustainability at UCLA, as well as a research fellow in the Capacity Center for Climate and Weather Extremes at the National Center for Atmospheric Research. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Uh, thanks for having me again. Yeah. The, those of us who are extremely online may also know Daniel as at Weather West uh, on Twitter and now actually also on, on Mastodon. Um, we're also joined by Jerry Diaz, a newsroom meteorologist with the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome, Jerry. Thanks, Alexis. Yeah. And just so people know, the Chronicle actually now has like a dedicated weather desk. And Jerry is their first newsroom meteorologist. Um, we're also joined by Mary Ellen Carroll, who's executive director of the San Francisco Department of Emergency Management. Welcome, Mary. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Um, Daniel, we were kind of talking with Brian Garcia from the National Weather Service before the break about this next couple of weeks. And a lot of the chatter that I saw online and between meteorologists seemed to be talking about, okay, what happens in the next couple of weeks with these storms? How bad do you think it could get? Yeah, I mean, I you know, to the storm this afternoon and tonight is obviously going to be a, a big one. Uh, but the real challenge, and I think the, the broader concern across uh, Northern California is that it's not the only storm in the sequence. In fact, there, you know, it, right now it looks like there could be another wet and strong atmospheric river later this weekend, and then potentially another one immediately following it early next week. So exactly how much water those will bring and exactly how strong uh, those storms will be is still a little bit uncertain. But right now, the potential is there. The stage is set, essentially, because uh, antecedent conditions are already really moist. The soils are already saturated. Rivers are already running pretty high. They're going to be running even higher after tonight's storm. And then we have a couple more big ones, at least, uh, potentially lined up within the next five days. So the cumulative effect of that is really where I think we're more increasingly likely not just to see minor flooding problems, but to see more significant issues with the larger rivers, with more serious flooding, with more widespread mudslide, landslide activity, um, things like that, especially given that in the last five or six years, we've seen so many large wildfires in Northern California. A lot of those burn areas haven't yet been tested by a storm sequence like this. So I think all of that together you know, presents a significant level of concern. Yeah. Jerry Diaz, newsroom meteorologist with the uh, San Francisco Chronicle. How unusual does this weather pattern look to you right now? Yeah. And to put it lightly, I mean, the last time we saw a sequence of storms to this caliber was probably back in 2017 uh, during that wet season. And before that, the other only other one that really comes to mind uh, to this caliber was also the one that we had in the 90s, mid 90s. Uh, so really, this is the kind of storm sequence we haven't seen in quite some time. And to Daniel's point, uh, that's going to raise some concerns, uh, not only for, uh, you know, reservoir overflow, but also for the potential for some soils across the region to we continue to weaken. So we'll see more of that soil erosion and that kind of continuation of some of those uh, kind of unfortunate consequences that come with this kind of intense rainfall over such a short period of time. Because again, we've only had these rains roll in for the past couple of weeks. So to put that into context, the amount of rainfall we've gotten in the past couple of weeks compared to how much rainfall we normally get through in the entire year, it really just goes to show just how much uh, precipitation has kind of accumulated in such a short span of time. Mm -hmm. 
Mary Ellen Carroll, Executive Director with San Francisco Department of Emergency Management. How's the city preparing for this event, especially given what happened uh, on New Year's Eve where there was pretty substantial flooding in the, in the mission and other parts of the city? Yeah, thanks. So we have been um, preparing since New Year's Eve and as we were responding, also getting ready for the next storm. Um, what we do, the Emer- Department of Emergency Management is the, really the coordinator for the city's response. We have activated our city operations center and uh, we have all of the key city departments um, there. We sort of set our objectives for um, for the period of time. We're going to be on a 12-hour 12, 12 shift starting at 10 a.m. And uh, what we are what we're doing is really coordinating um, the situa- creating situational awareness so that we know what's going on on the field and in the streets, mm-hmm. getting the resources we need to respond, and communicating out to the public, which has been, um, if anyone's in San Francisco and follows social media or gets our alerts, know we've been doing a lot of making sure the public is aware of what's going on, giving them tips to stay safe, and uh, just gearing up for what's about to hit us. You know, Mary Ellen, there's a, you know, over New Year's Eve, there's a pretty brutal situation at the restaurant Rentaro, which is on, on 14th, you know, which got very seriously flooded when a storm drain just couldn't couldn't handle it out from the restaurant. They also, you know, at least from the coverage that I've read about that, they knew that there was an issue with that storm drain. Both the city knew and also, you know, the restaurant owner knew, um, Sylvan. And what can the city or what should the city be doing when there are kind of known problems and this kind of set of storms is coming at them. That's right. And that area is, we, we know that our storm system does not perform to the level of the rest of the city. But the, the way the, the Public Utilities Commission that has purchased, and I think it's been six years ago, purchased storm um, rain barriers for that area. Those rain barriers are implemented based on um, forecasted rain. And so, as we understand it, the, the exact forecast did not match the, the predictors for putting those barriers up. Obviously, we got a lot more rain than we were expecting, and those barriers are up now as we speak. We know they work. And it was very unfortunate, obviously, that, um, that 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 didn't happen and that damage did occur. The city will be working with those businesses um, to help mitigate um, and determine, you know, the liability uh, on our on our part, if any, to, yeah. to help them out. But those are, you know, we do we do pretty much know where things are going to happen. Um, we had. Two other areas where we know um, we have issues, and they, they did fine. So um, it's it's you know one of those things that um, we have to. I, I think that in retrospect, we're going to have to kind of revisit um, our thresholds probably yeah, for our right. response because. And I just want to say you know in the summer, for instance, so we haven't had big rain like we said since really 2017. And before, but what we have had is heat events, right? So our heat response, we have adapted because what we have found is that when the city of San Francisco, for instance, is predicted to have 80 degree weather, there are many parts of the city that hit the 90s. 
So we adjust sort of our thresholds based on our experience. Um, I think what we had here is that we haven't had this event in a long time. And so we were based on, you know, sort of history of what we've had. Mm -hmm. Now that we know, we're, we obviously are revisiting um, our protocols and, yeah. and how we're going to do that as a city. One, you know, at least to my mind, what I'm hearing is that, you know, climate change is kind of shifting the baselines that people are kind of used to. And now those things have to sort of be be incorporated into kind of the everyday operations of, of, of what you're working on. Um, I did hear you say that there's two other areas aside from there that are also vulnerable in the city. Where, where are those? Um, so the two areas that historically we have, we would always have flooding is around um, 15th and Mawona and then uh, the lower Alamany area. Um, many, there, there have been um, some mitigations put in place. Some of the homeowners in those areas have implemented some of the PUC's um, programs to that they have a really great program where people can get grants to do um, rain abatement um, type of projects on their homes. And so, you know, it looks like some of the things that were in place there uh, worked. And there is a long-term project that is underway um, to resolve those areas on a more permanent basis. Um, those aren't complete. I don't know how much of the work that's done, you know, helped that situation. But, um, you know, the, the type of infrastructure fixes that are needed to really resolve um, these problems in these low-level areas and places that used to be lakes, 15th and Wawona used to be a lake, you know, back mm -hmm. before it was developed, um, they're, they're massive, you know, in the millions and millions of dollars and, and years to, to undertake. And they are, they are being undertaken as we speak, yeah. just not completed yet. Good news for listeners. Our phones are back up and running. We'd love to hear from you. How are you preparing for this coming set of storms, you know, including tonight and, and as you've been hearing, you know, into the next week, most likely? And have you been able to find the resources that you need from local authorities like, you know, San Francisco's Department of Emergency Management? Uh, the number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Also, you've got Daniel Swain, climate scientist uh, with the Institute of the Environment and Sustainability at UCLA and a research fellow at the National Center for Atmospheric Research, as well as Jerry Diaz, newsroom meteorologist with the San Francisco Chronicle on the line. What questions do you have about the storm coverage that you've heard both here uh, and elsewhere? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're KQED Forum, and the email is forum at kqed.org. Um, Daniel, I wanted to ask you uh, something which I've been asked a lot by people, which is, will this series of storms completely end the drought? I'm putting that in quotes, completely end the drought. Yeah, it's a good question. And it's one that I also um, hear a lot. Uh, it turns out that the answer is really complicated, primarily because uh, no two scientists uh, agree on exactly how to define what a drought is. It's actually a surprisingly contentious and complicated topic. But also, you know, in a very real sense, what it means to be in a drought is changing in a warming climate. So I'll back up a little bit. 
uh, historically, you know, there there was a general use of the term drought to refer to what was effectively a precipitation deficit. So, you know, in a given region, in a given period of time, you would normally receive X amount of precipitation. And in this particular period, we received, you know, X minus however much. So we're below whatever the typical amount of precipitation would have been. And uh, that's sort of called meteorological drought. So precipitation deficits. Um but really, in a practical context, what matters more is I think what we we might more accurately refer to as hydrological drought or ecological drought, which is how much water is actually available to humans and to ecosystems. So how much water is there actually in rivers, lakes, and streams, and reservoirs, and in the soil itself, and therefore available to uh, both us and the rest of the living things on the planet to do what we need to do with it. Uh, and that's not just a question of precipitation deficits, how much uh, less precipitation than usual we've received, but it's also a question of how much more evaporation uh, there we, we might have seen uh, than we normally would. So in a warming climate, as temperatures have risen, the other side of that water balance, so you can kind of think of, think of it as the supply side and the demand side. The supply side is precipitation. The demand side is the evaporation of that water back into the atmosphere. If the evaporation side, the, the, the demand side, is increasing in a warming climate, which certainly appears to be the case, you'd actually need more precipitation than you used to have to come out uh, you know, to come out with the same level of water overall. Since that's not happening, we don't necessarily have to see large decreases in precipitation now to be in increasingly severe droughts because of this increased thirstiness mm -hmm. of the atmosphere, if you will. Mm -hmm. So although, uh, you know, the traditional definitions of drought have been uh, useful in the past, I think we're increasingly starting to move into this more holistic view of it's not just a question of precipitation, but it's also a question of evaporation and how much water is available on balance. And so to answer that directly, you know, in the current context, we're getting so much water so quickly right now that, as, as has been mentioned, the problem is actually that the surface soils are saturated. We're getting too much runoff. There's flooding. And there may be more flooding because the soils, at least right now, can't really absorb the water as quickly as it's going to be coming in. That's sort of why there's significant flood risk. But what that means... Uh, is that the short-term drought indicators will probably be significantly alleviated, if not uh, sort of ended over the next uh, few months uh, by this precipitation. So essentially, the short-term drought will probably be over at the end of the storm sequence. Hmm. The long-term drought, though, which is increasingly driven by the long-term aridification due to climate change, which again, is not really due to decreasing precipitation so much as it is increasing evaporation, that may still be with us even if we have serious flooding over the next couple of weeks. Mm. So come this summer or fall. Oh man, not not either or on the climate impacts, but actually and, um, that's tough. Let's, um, let's get to some callers. Um, Kyle in San Francisco, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for taking my question. Yes, so from the macro to the micro here, um, my backyard has a 50-foot pine tree um, that seems healthy, but with 70-mile-an-hour winds, it's large enough that I'm concerned about it coming down. Um, is there any way for me to gauge how, like, how, how safe or unsafe it is? And then the second part of the question is, I, I'm sure that it will have to do with the speed of the winds, and where can I go to measure what's going on with those winds and i'll take my answer off there sure. 
Hey, Kyle, thank you for that question. Uh, Mary Ellen Carroll, Executive Director with San Francisco's Department of Emergency Management. What What's your advice for Kyle here? Um, well, I'm not sure I'm the right person to answer the question, not a tree expert. Um, but there are, and maybe some of the meteorologists here have some suggestions. There are, uh, you know, the National Weather Service website, which I also just want to do a huge shout out to the National Weather Service. They are our close partners and um, have a really, really difficult job. Um, but uh, they can put out wind. The fact is, as Brian Garcia from NWS said, all trees really are at risk right now. The soil is very spongy, and so high winds can take down trees. Um, so, you know, is there, the Marilyn, thing- is there a place, yeah. sorry, sorry to cut you up, but is there a place yeah. in the city where someone like how could go for help on this? Um, you know, we, we could, you could potentially go through 311, and there is a Bureau of Urban Forestry. Uh, through the Department of Public Works. However, I can tell you right now, they are out in force um, mm-hmm. trying to mitigate any uh, types of um, problems with existing trees that are in the city right of way. Mm-hmm. Um, if it is a tree that is on your own property, I believe that um, you know getting a tree expert to come out, I know behind my house, I have a massive, massive pine tree that is on my neighbor's yard that leans over my house. Mm-hmm. I work really closely with her um, to make sure that we keep that tree uh, healthy, bringing in tree experts to trim it as needed on a regular basis. And that really is the the best advice. If it isn't your tree, obviously working with your neighbor, if it's a city tree, then for sure, I would you can report it in through 311 yeah. if you think there's a problem and they can come out. Marilyn, before we let you go, because we know you got to get back to emergency managing the situation, um, one listener wants to know if you can speak to how folks who are unhoused can get help during the storm. Yes, absolutely. Um, we have been, as a city, we have uh, opened our winter shelter system, which has been open for a couple weeks now. Um, we, in addition, the Department of Homelessness and Sort of Housing has uh, expanded beds in many of their sites, and I believe they are going to, they're working on additional um, resources that will likely be announced later today. I can tell you that all of our teams are out on the field today. Our Healthy Streets Operations Center that is coordinated through DEM is out on the streets right now, helping people, making sure, um, trying to get people in to the extent folks are willing. We have the hot team out. Um, there's a lot of work uh, to get people inside. Uh, you know, one of the main priorities for me is making sure that those shelters stay open, even in the event of a power yeah. outage. Thank you so much, Mary Ellen Carroll, Executive Director with the San Francisco Department of Emergency Management. We're also joined by Daniel Swain, a climate scientist, and Jerry Diaz, newsroom meteorologist with San Francisco Chronicle. We're going to have more about these storms right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the storm hitting us today and the ones coming over the next couple of weeks. Earlier, we were joined by Brian Garcia, who's the Warning Coordination Meteorologist with the National Weather Service uh, here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Put out one of the kind of crucial forecasts that has people getting ready for this big storm tonight. We're also joined earlier by Mary Ellen Carroll, Executive Director of the San Francisco Department of Emergency Management. Right now, we've got on the line Daniel Swain, climate scientist with the Institute of the Environment and Sustainability at UCLA, as well as a research fellow with the Capacity Center for Climate and Weather Extremes at the National Center for Atmospheric Research, and Jerry Diaz, a newsroom meteorologist, well, the newsroom meteorologist with the San Francisco Chronicle's new weather desk. Um, Jerry, I got a question for you, and it's about uh, La Nina and El Nino. Um, A listener tweets in, this is supposed to be a La Nina winter, but this kind of storm sequence and flooding feels more of an El Nino year, which I'm parenthetically adding have typically been wetter. What gives? Does climate change and warming seas mean big storms even in La Nina years? And will El Nino still come next year? Yeah. And a couple things on that front. Uh, We're actually entering the end of a La Nina sequence, or at least we're reaching that kind of tail end here, uh, which is actually pretty good news for our area. For the past three years, we've actually been in the middle of what's referred to as a triple dip La Nina. So usually when a La Nina sequence forms over uh, the Pacific Ocean, that leads to some very dry environments across the West Coast. So it essentially creates a blockage between that moisture that sits over the Pacific Ocean and us. So we see that rain deficit, that drought really starts to build over our area. This time around, the La Nina is actually starting to weaken, and it's the first time we've seen that in a couple of years now. So that's allowed for some more of this moisture to start to funnel into uh, the West Coast. So that's uh, in turn uh, led to us having a lot more of these beneficial rains, uh, as Daniel Swain pointed out. But it's also started to create a sequence where we're starting to see more of these storms begin to parade into uh, California. So in an essence, we're seeing uh, a weakening La Nina, which is allowing for more of that moisture to kind of stream into California. Uh, While at the same time, we're kind of in this gray area where the La Nina hasn't completely uh, uh, d- dissipated, but we are kind of in entering that neutral phase. And for those who aren't familiar, a La Nina phase and an El Nino phase, that's part of what's known as this ENSO sequence. So it's a type of teleconnection. What that means is it's a big, large-scale pattern in the atmosphere. La Ninas tend to uh, result in high pressures that really dry out California. El Ninos create more low-pressure environments, and they support more of that moisture. Neutral is kind of an in-between, and that's exactly where we are right now. So in essence, just to sum it all up, we are entering this transitional period, and we're starting to see more of those storms start to slowly trickle into California. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for that, Jerry. Um, Dan Brecky, one of our uh, local reporters, actually had an answer for an earlier listener question about where to check for really local wind speeds. Weather Underground, some people are probably familiar with it. He says has a feature called Wonder Map that shows dozens of local weather stations, mostly at people's homes. So that might be... Uh, good for our, our previous Ky- uh, listener, Kyle, um, for getting kind of local wind speeds near you. I uh, want to bring in Greg from San Jose. Welcome. Hey, guys. Good discussion. Thank you. Uh, big fan of Daniel and his blog. Um, 
just had a question kind of along the lines of the last uh, the, the tweet that you just shared. Um, I mean, it seems like just a few weeks ago, the models were saying that it was going to be dry through mid-January, even longer. And then all of a sudden, like a switch, it seemed like it just flipped to what we're seeing now. I wanted to know kind of more specifically, like what what was the change that happened that quick? And, and you know, why are all these storms all of a sudden coming our way? Yeah. Let's direct this one to Daniel. Thank you, Greg, for that question. Yeah, I mean, it has been a pretty uh, abrupt, and I, I would, I would, argue, I think it's fair to say it's a fairly unexpected transition over the past couple of weeks. I, I did want to make one thing clear, though, is that we do still have La Nina conditions today in the tropical Pacific Ocean, because this is something that is, you know, whether or not we have uh, La Nina or El Nino conditions, is defined by how unusually warm or cool the tropical eastern Pacific Ocean is. So it's a fairly specific definition that it actually has to do with the ocean directly more than the atmosphere. And we still do have unusually cool conditions in the eastern tropical Pacific and unusually warm conditions in the western tropical Pacific, which is a configuration that under typical conditions would continue to favor drier than average conditions. And you know, it's it's even possible we still end up seeing a prolonged dry spell for, you know, in, in later in January or February or March. It won't matter nearly as much as it would have now that we're getting so much water now. Um, but the interesting question is, why are we having a pattern that does indeed resemble much more an El Nino pattern than a La Nina pattern when we do not have El Nino conditions? They simply are not present in the tropical ocean. And I don't actually have a good answer for that right now. Um, mm. It's an interesting setup, uh, and I don't think it will last the rest of the winter. So one big difference is if we have a particularly strong El Nino event, once we get this kind of pattern, it's pretty much likely to last the whole season. Uh, I, I would be very surprised if this continued without a break through February and March, uh, which hopefully will be our saving grace in terms of uh, not maximizing the flood potential, although we'll see what happens in the next week or so. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the interesting thing here is is really there's there's two things. One is that seasonal prediction is difficult. And you know, the most we can ever say is that there's a tilt in the odds in one direction or the other towards drier than average conditions or wetter than average conditions. But La Nina does not preclude very wet conditions and El Nino does not preclude very dry conditions on the other hand, because there are other influences uh, that can sometimes drown them out. And that really uh, is essentially what's happening at least temporarily right now and in fairly spectacular fashion. So it does look like La Nina will continue to fade through the spring and probably be gone by summer. Uh, likely to be replaced by El Nino uh, by next fall. But I guess that's a conversation for a, a, a future uh, a Yeah, future, future forum, forum for sure. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. Um, let's uh, go back to brass tacks again. Suzanne in Sunnyvale, welcome. Can you hear me, Suzanne? Oh, yes, I can. Thank you. Um, my niece has a home in Alameda, and she lives near a canal, and she... Um, has a basement with a sump pump. And I want to know if that area is in any particular risk for, for flooding and what exactly a sump pump is used for. I mean, she may know, but I, I don't know. And yeah. I just would like some <laughs> well, I, my one about that. piece of advice for your niece is to make sure there's nothing obstructing the sump pump or making it difficult for it to work, because that's what actually happened to us uh, last week. 
and our so our basement oh. did end up flooding. It basically pumps the water out of the basement. Um, that's that's okay. what it does. Um, Jerry, I'm assuming Alameda is under some threat of flooding because of how low lying it is. But um, what would you say about that, Jerry Diaz? Yeah, and it's interesting. We actually had a similar issue uh, where I live, where where because we're in a low lying area, it is kind of that risk where you have that runoff that really just kind of seeps into all the corners of. Uh, of your either your complex or your home. And Alameda itself is under that risk for flooding, uh, at least uh, over the next few hours. Uh, so we do still have a lot of those flood watches out in effect. We also have uh, that concern for the continuation of you know, some of the saturation of the soils in that region. Uh, so the best thing you can do to kind of prepare for that is just kind of make sure, and actually it was already kind of pointed out, uh, you want to make sure that you clear out that storm drain, uh, make sure that there's no debris in it, in it. Otherwise, that would really help. To, unfortunately, that would clog up the drain. Uh, so yeah, make sure that you have that sorted out. And also just kind of be mindful of those heavier showers that we expect later this afternoon and through those overnight hours. Uh, Those intense uh, downpours will really uh, play a big role in just how much water ends up seeping into some of those low-lying areas, Uh, not just in Alameda, but just across uh, that section of the East Bay. Yeah. Well, and Suzanne, the other thing that it's at least possible to do, although it's getting very difficult, is you can... at least in my yard, there is a, a small stream that develops running into the basement. We were able to sandbag across that by getting sandbags from um, from Oakland, the city of Oakland. But one listener writes that that's actually getting more and more difficult. A uh, listener says, it's been difficult to get sandbags and scarce information. Initially, I read fire stations would be giving sandbags, but that isn't the case. Turns out there are only two places in Oakland to pick up sandbags, both a 20-minute freeway drive away. One was the Coliseum, one was sort of above Montclair. Although I'm closer to Berkeley, being an Oaklander, I'm also not allowed to pick them up there, that is to say, in Berkeley, and there was a five-block line of cars waiting to do so. Just seems like this could all be made uh, easier for people, and I think what we're really seeing, the larger point there, is that some of these uh, systems are really getting getting tested. Um, let's do another call. Bill in San Francisco, welcome. Hi, thanks. Um, I have a question about, uh, like, I live in San Francisco in the Mission and, of course, there used to be waterways here. There was a lake. There were streams. And um, most of these things, most of these places have now been covered up. And I'm trying to understand the effect of the, wad, the old waterways and mm. also and, and how that you know, affects the flooding we're seeing now. But also you brought up Brentaro on 14th Street. I used to be connected to a restaurant in that same space. And there on 14th Street, and especially that restaurant, that spot, it's below grade. So, it, uh, you know, we went through the, a huge flood about 10 years ago, mm. and it seems like that's repeating. And I'm curious how people, when they rent a space or buy a space, um, you know, we're not a city that typically floods like the spectacular floods we see, you know, in other places around the country. So I think people, you know, kind yeah. of skim over the flood you know, potential in San Francisco, but obviously it does happen every, you know, blue moon. How do you, uh, are there, is there a great map that shows, you know, that warns people or um, it just seems like a lot of people really are unaware of the dangers. Yeah. So um, Jerry, you may have more info on this, but my best info I've heard is that the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission maps are actually superior to other ones, like they're more uh, granular. The other advice uh, I have for people, and this again, just from my own personal experience of having a stream that (laughs) runs down our street, is that if you can find old maps of where you were before the streams were uh, pushed underground, it gives you a rough sense of like, well, that's why this street has this, you know, all this water running down it, while that street does not, because it really is following 
the the topography uh, of the land. Jerry, do you have other advice on that one? Yeah, and actually I'll throw in some historical context as to uh, why it is that we have so much flooding in that specific area. And uh, for the caller, I'm someone who also experienced that flooding on New Year's Eve. uh, And essentially... uh, one thing that really stands out is if uh, for those who live in the city of San Francisco, uh, the old mission, uh, Mission Dolores, is actually situated pretty far inland compared to other missions uh, across uh, California. There's a historical tie in there uh, because back back then, back in the, the era, well into the 1700s, 1800s, uh, there actually used to be a creek and a series of creeks and uh, swamps that used to stream from the bay all the way out uh, into that section of Mission Dolores. That all has been paved. At, so we have a, all of that former marsh, all that swamp, uh, those streams are now just paved away. That doesn't mean that those low-lying areas are gone. It just means that we have roads over them now. So that's essentially what we ended up seeing play out on New Year's Eve as we got all of that rain to kind of seep into the city. Uh, a lot of those former marshlands began to flood. So Harrison Street uh, saw some of those impacts. Uh, a lot of sections around that kind of uh, intersection between Soma and the Mission saw a lot of that flooding. So in a way, even though we removed a lot of those uh, streams that historically were there, uh, water has a bit of that memory, right? So a lot of that water eventually seeped back in during the flooding. Um, And if you're interested in finding maps to kind of show that flood risk, especially for these kinds of uh, extreme events, uh, you can go to uh, sfplanninggis.org. They have a great map there available. It kind of gives you a sense of where some of those former estuaries were and also what areas might be the most at risk for uh, another one of these kinds of uh, events where we have a one in 100 year storm. Uh, so that's a great resource. So again, that's uh, sfplanninggis.org if nice. you're interested in looking at that map. Um, I want to zoom out a little bit with you, Daniel, because there is a kind of scenario planning uh, tool called ArcStorm, and you've been involved in the creation of a, a, a new one called ArcStorm 2.0, which tried to sort of game out what it would look like to have a sort of worse than bad earthquake scenario flood, right? Can you tell us a little bit more about that and whether what we're looking at over the next few weeks begins to sort of touch into some of those kind of worst case scenarios? Yeah, we've been working on a project called ArcStorm 2.0 now for uh, several years. And you may have heard sort of the, the culmination of the initial results we published this summer. That was the the, the big, splashy uh, California mega flood paper that, that, that hit a lot of the news outlets uh, back in August. Uh, but the main motivation for this is that in recent years, California has really been focused on water scarcity and drought and wildfires for understandable reasons. We've really had a terrible run of it uh, with all of those things over the past decade. But in a warming climate, um, in some ways, the larger increase in risk may even come uh, from the, the rapidly rising risk of extreme precipitation and flood events. And this actually comes as a surprise to almost everybody I, I mentioned this too, um, maybe a little bit less so after this year, uh, but I, I still think that there's a sense that California is just drying up perpetually, and that's not quite what we see. Um, and we actually see that, yes, droughts are getting worse, but that the most extreme precipitation events are also likely to get significantly worse. And so that's the motivation for doing this sort of disaster contingency planning scenario. You can kind of think of it like the great California shakeout uh, that we do uh, every year, uh, sort of uh, instigated by the US Geological Survey, which has really moved the needle on earthquake preparedness in Los Angeles and San Francisco over the years. Um, 
we're actually working with the USGS and, and, and ArcStorm is, is in, in a similar vein um, to sort of create this level of awareness and to really move the needle on, on the severe flood preparedness, essentially. Um, the, the interesting part here is that the scenarios that we've envisioned in ArcStorm are multi-week storm sequences, um, not entirely unlike what we're experiencing now, but the magnitude and the duration uh, in those extreme scenarios is significantly greater than what we've seen up to this point and what I think is likely to happen over the next week. But, you know, it's it's we're sort of getting into territory of a third or half of an arc storm. So, you know, the impacts will hopefully be much less, um, but we are getting a bit of a taste of sort of what it would look like in the early stages. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you know, for example, this pattern continued not just for another week, as appears likely at present, but what if it continued for another three or four weeks? That's mm-hmm. sort of what the arc storm scenario would, would, would entail. And so we're getting a taste of it right now. I don't think we're likely to get there this year. Um, but, you know, with a warming climate, the odds are rising with each passing year. And so it is something I'm, I'm hoping that people really think about uh, in the meantime and also realize it doesn't take a mega flood to produce serious impacts. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the storm we'll see today, the storms next week, they're not the worst plausible storms we could see in Northern California, uh, but they're really going to affect a lot of folks pretty, pretty adversely uh, nonetheless. Yeah. You know, Jerry, did this, when you saw the forecast set up, did it have you thinking about ArcStorm? You know, it's interesting. I definitely started thinking about some of the kind of the intricacies and the parallels between them. It, the, what really uh, fascinated me about the ArcStorm scenario was just that prolonged period of time, just how long that duration was for that intense rainfall uh, in that scenario. Uh, and so seeing a lot of this flooding over the Sacramento Valley and then also uh, kind of, you know, over here in the Bay Area, it kind of got me thinking at least about the idea around the arc storm. Mm. So there are some interesting kind of parallels, uh, at least in terms of like the areas that we're seeing have flooding uh, this week. Of course, this is not the same scale as that scenario where we had, I believe it's a three months worth of rain. Is, if Daniel can correct me on that one is what that scenario is like. Uh, but at least there there was at least a, you know, a bit of an interest into the idea of, well, is this a bit of a wake-up call into what we could expect mm. in a true arc storm scenario? Mm. Uh, and so to me, that that really did kind of uh, make me yeah. think about it in th- in the context of how we prepare for earthquakes, right? So a small earthquake may mean one thing, larger ones could mean another, you know, it could be much more mm-hmm. potent. But again, just to kind of sum it all up, it did kind of draw some uh, yeah. some curiosity there. If you want to look that up, arc storm is A-R-K storm. We've been talking about the storm that's going to hit us just a few hours after we get off the air and the ones that we've been uh, we've got coming up over the next couple of weeks. We've been joined by Jared Diaz, newsroom meteorologist with the San Francisco Chronicle, and Daniel Swain, climate scientist with the Institute for the Environment and Sustainability at UCLA and a research fellow with the Capacity Center for Climate and Weather Extremes at the National Center for Atmospheric Research. Earlier, we were joined by Brian Garcia with the National Weather Service here locally and Mary Ellen Carroll of the San Francisco Department of Emergency Management. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Form Ahead with guest host Marisa Lagos. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera, 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.